Well, today I have a fun topic for you. What is it? <laughs> Marriage and singleness. Marriage and singleness. I have the opportunity to offend all of you at once. So I thought I'd start out by telling some marriage jokes and some single jokes. Why not? I mean, you know, that, what could go wrong? What could go wrong? I just tell some jokes, right? So let's, let's talk about some marriage jokes first. Got to pick on the married people first. Grooms, once you get married, remember that when you have a discussion with your future wife, always make sure you get the last two words in. What are those two words? Yes, yes dear. You know that joke. How about this story? The wheel of my grocery cart was making a horrible scraping sound as I rolled it through the supermarket. Nevertheless, when I finished shopping, I saw a woman without a cart, and I offered it to her, explaining, it makes an awful noise, but it works pretty well. And she said, that's okay. I got a husband just like that at home. How about this? A husband and wife had been married for 60 years, had no secrets except one. She kept a box that she forbade her husband to ever open. But she was on her deathbed, and with her blessing, he opened it up, and inside he found a crocheted doll and $95,000 in cash. She said, my mother told me that the secret to a happy marriage is never to argue, but whenever I'm angry, to simply keep quiet and crochet a doll. And so the man was very touched. He's like, there's only one doll in here. That means she was only really angry with me, you know, once in these 60 years. And he said, but what about the money? She said, oh, that's the money I made selling all the dolls. Okay, single people aren't exempt. I got a couple for you as well. I once heard someone say, I'm not single. I'm in a long-distance relationship because my boyfriend's a long ways off in the future. I'm so single right now that if I win a trip for two, I'm going twice. <laughs> Jimmy Fallon does this thing. I don't know if you follow his hashtags, but he does hashtags where people write in funny responses to the hashtag. And one of the hashtags is hashtag why I'm single. So these are funny stories about why these people are single. The first one is my girlfriend texted me asking if she had gained weight. I answered no in big letters on the text. But it auto-corrected the N to an M, and so it said, moo. <laughs> Hashtag why I'm single. I asked a cute guy if I could borrow his pen. When I finished using it, he smiled and held out his hand, and I thought, oh, he wants to hold my hand. I held his hand. Turned out he just wanted his pen back. Hashtag why I'm single. And the last one is a meme that I will put up here for anyone maybe more recently single. Should encourage you. It's called single. Where's the, it's the uh, one that has the, Single. Single. Stress is now gone. Life's easier. That's the, the meme for, for being single. Maybe some of you can relate to that. Well, now I've insulted everybody, so that's what my goal was this morning, that we all love to make fun of being married or being single. You can take that down now. Um, we like to make fun of that, but we're talking about a really serious couple of topics here, actually, something that we don't often talk about in church, marriage and singleness. We're on our last week of our fun and family series where we've been talking about how to love our families well. Chris did a great job last week talking about how to how yes Woo! talking about how to love our children with the love that God loves us with using him as our example beautiful beautiful if you haven't gotten a chance to hear that you should listen to it online but I'm going to go a different direction today and talk about marriage and singleness and what does that look like in, in the church and how can we support one another 
And here's the thing. If you've been in the Christian church for any length of time over the last 50 years, you know that the overriding assumption seems to be that God must want you to be married. We're very marriage-focused in the church. We're very family-focused. Um, that's the goal. Marriage is kind of held up as the holy grail. You know, if you're, people are always asking, when are you going to get married? If a girl leaves college and she doesn't found her man yet, it's like, oh, we gotta, we got to fix her up with someone. we got to get her married. God help the man who's over 35 and still not married. What's wrong with him? Why doesn't he snatch up all these Christian girls? I mean, let's go. Anybody relate to this? Any single people can relate to this. There's this this urge to get everybody married as if this is the most important thing. We have women in the church, usually usually women who love to play matchmaker and set up people and try to get them all paired off. And we do have a tendency to say kind of unhelpful things to single people like, you don't want to grow old alone, do you? Don't you want to have children? As if it should be the primary goal of every person to be married and have a family. Now, I have a, I'm married and I have a family, and I think it's a great thing. So there's nothing wrong with being married and having a family, and it, but it may interest you to know that this fixation in the Christian church on marriage and family is actually kind of a relatively recent phenomenon. It kind of started from the Reformation in the 1500s, uh, this focus on it. And I'm, so I'm going to give you just a little bit of a history lesson here because this is kind of fascinating to me. Um, the focus on the family, the nuclear family, getting married, is really since the Reformation. Prior to that, from about the time of Jesus to the 1500s, the highest and holiest calling for a man or a woman was to remain single. These people decided to devote themselves to the Lord and remain single for when getting married, having children, and often became nuns or monks, but sometimes just devoted themselves to the Lord and service to the church. And the reason they did this is because they took very seriously the passage from 1 Corinthians 7, which we almost never read in church, but I'm going to read to you today. It's from 1 Corinthians 7, 32 to 38. It says this, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of the world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in an undivided devotion to the Lord. Real testimony to singleness, right? A real argument, case being made to stay single. Now, after making this striking statement, Paul moderates it just a little bit, and he goes on. And says, if anyone is worried they might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he's engaged to, and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion but has control over his own will, who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. Interesting. When have you ever heard it said in church it's better not to marry? <laughs> Usually we're trying to get everybody married off. But the, again, um, I love the balance of this passage, right? You're not, if you marry, you're not sinning. That's also okay. But, but do consider this idea of not marrying. Being sing single is also a holy calling. And what's interesting, um, uh, reading a book by Beth Allison Barr, she's a Christian medieval historian, so she studies mostly women in, in the medieval times. She's a professor at Baylor University, and she wrote this about the Middle Ages. She said, virginity empowered women. Women became nuns and took religious vows, and some, like Catherine of Siena and Hildegard of Bergen, found their voices wrung with the authority of men. Indeed, 
The further removed medieval women were from the married state, the closer they were considered to God. So it's just very fascinating that everything uh, went in this direction of the, whole, your, your, the holy calling really was to be single. Now, everything changed after the Reformation in the 1500s. This is, again, we're back to the history lesson here. The Reformation brought about lots and lots of really good things. It emphasized the priesthood of all believers. It wasn't just a priest who could intercede to God for you. You could just speak right to God. They talked about being saved by grace alone, not by the works that you might do, not by the words of a priest or doing penance, but you could just, by the grace of God, be saved. It helped us to understand how the word of God is all we need. We don't need the words of someone else to interpret it, but we can go straight to the word of God. So all of these things were wonderful things that came out of the Reformation. But as a result, due to the political atmosphere and the social atmosphere and the new religious landscape, the idea of gender hierarchy really got, got cemented during this time and the idea of the family. The women, of course throughout history, we know. Women have always been considered less, right? Um, but at least before then, they would, we'd be out in the world working um, and, and, and doing things. But now, the idea was they needed to be home, in, in, the ho- in the home and under the authority of a husband. And so this idea of the nuclear family, the man is the head of the household, and the woman um, serving and, and taking care of the children and submitting to her husband, that became the goal for a godly family, for godly men and women. Better to marry than be single and to be unmarried and have no covering. And so it's interesting because Barr points out from this, she says, Reformation theology may have removed the priest, but for women he was replaced with the husband, which is kind of interesting. Now, what this means, I'm not making a a treatise about women here, but what this means for both men and women is that suddenly the idea of being single was not so great anymore and everyone needed to be married because men needed to rule a household and women needed to be in submission and in a household. And so the nuclear family became the center and the locus of church and of the community. And so as a result in church... We tend to hear a lot of teachings, don't we, on uh, Genesis 2. It's not good for a man to be alone. Ephesians 5, women submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. But we don't hear much from 1 Corinthians 7, do we? Things like when Paul said, I wish that all of you were as I am, meaning single. Paul was single, and he was arguing that it was better to be single and devoted to the Lord, or how he says... He who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry does better. This is why it's so important for us to know history and know our Christian history, because history is just flip-flopped, all right? Um, and, and, and so at what, where we sit right now in history is that there's almost a prejudice against single people in the church. Churches are very reluctant to hire a single man or woman as a pastor, very reluctant even though they might be incredibly qualified and gifted. They're very reluctant because there's something about uh, our culture that thinks they need to be a married person. Churches are often focused around families as if that is the only important unit in 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 the church. We tend to think of church growth in terms of family units as opposed to people. So this has this like little little feeling has kind of uh, has seeped into the church. We don't even know it's there. Now, why am I talking about all this? Um, I want to just give us a clear-eyed view about what God thinks about marriage and singleness. And the first thing about it is that the emphasis on one or the other in Christian history goes back and forth. I wouldn't be surprised if in another 100, 200 years it flips a little bit back to singles, because in our culture, certainly, there's a lot more single people. Um, but, but the emphasis is going to switch back and forth, and that's okay. We see this from history. Um, 
it's one of those cultural things that if I took you and plopped you into AD 950, you'd be like, what? Wow, you know, this is so strange. Like, it would just feel very different to you. It wouldn't be the same focus that we have here on marriage and family. So we need to not be short-sighted and think our little slice of history is the only thing that matters or the only thing that's right or the only thing that ever has been. But most importantly, the second thing I want to say, our clear-eyed view of marriage and singleness is this, that scripture is clear. There is a value and a holy calling to both singleness and marriage. Both of them are so valued to him. That's why I love 1 Corinthians 7. It's a, it's a balanced look at both. Don't, don't undercut a person who is single their whole life and they're following Jesus. And there's things about being single that's going to make that person better able to serve the Lord. Scripture says it. They're going to be undivided. But on the other hand, marriage is a beautiful holy calling. It's representing Christ in the church. And we can show forth the glory of God in a marriage that's healthy and strong and a a godly marriage. So God created both and honors both and values both. And both are holy unto him. We can serve him well and live a full and complete life that pleases him, whether we're married or single. And then the third point is something that I, you know, only have started really thinking about recently is that despite what you might assume, most of us will spend a good portion of our life both married and single. Even if you married young, you still probably had a couple decades where you were single before you got married. And chances are at some point in the future, and it's not a nice thing to say, but at some point we end up single again. Sometimes it's through divorce. Sometimes it's through the, the, the sadness of the death of our spouse. And in fact, most of us, at some point, one of us is going to outlive the other, right, if you're in a married couple. So there will be years, in some cases, after the death of your spouse where you will be single again. It's not a nice thing to think about, but it's true. And so is, that, is life over at that point? Or does God have something for you then? Does God have a good thing for you, whether you're single or whether you're married? And not only that, if you've been single your whole life, you may think, well, I'm not going to be married, so I don't have to worry about that. And this, just never say never, people, because <laughs> I've known people in their 40s and 50s and 60s who suddenly found themselves married. My really good friend was in her mid-40s. She was doing ministry, loved life, didn't really need to be married, was doing great. By 46, she was married. I was like, what happened to all that? <laughs> so she just found the person. So we just never know. And so, so here's the thing. What this means is that we should not make it our goal in life to be married or to be single, but rather we should fix our eyes on Jesus and serve him well in whatever state we find ourselves in. I love that this morning was centered on Jesus. Put your thoughts upon Jesus. We can do that whether we're married or single. Married, single, wondering if we'll ever be married. Married, wondering if we'll ever be single. Widowed or, or divorced, wondering, I can't believe I'm single again. Wherever we are, we can serve the Lord. We can love him. We can put him first. We can use our gifts for him. We can be complete and whole in Jesus complete and whole in healthy mind and spirit. And being single is not an excuse to not fully serve the Lord and glorify him in our life. And being married, even to a difficult person, a hard person, a person who doesn't love Jesus, even being married is not an excuse not to love the Lord with all your heart and serve him in your life. Amen? So we're going to just talk for a few minutes about some ways in which we can make sure that as we are married or as we are single, we're glorifying the Lord. We are having a healthy marriage or a healthy life as a single person. This, of course, is not an exhaustive list, but these are just some things um, that the Lord put on my heart for us for today. And so the first is going to be marriage for the glory of God. What should this look like? And in the first thing I want to say about this, and it's the thing I say to every 
couple that ever comes to me for counsel, it's just true of anybody I know, prioritize your marriage. It's so hard to do this, I know. It's easy when you're first married because you're all excited. Um, it's a little easier when you're way older and all the kids are off, but even then it can be hard because you, you get in different patterns. But it's so hard when you're building a career, when you have family, to prioritize your marriage. It's easy for the marriage to take a second seat. Maybe you're building your career. You're at work all the time. You've got to work late. And then when, even when you're home, you're checking your phone and you're ch- answering emails way into the night. It's, work is just taking over things and your heart never just hanging out with your spouse. Or maybe you've had kids and now all bets are off, right? I mean, the kids just dominate everything. Um, you, you have barely any idea what your spouse is thinking about anything because all you're worried about is what the kids are thinking and what they're feeling, what they're doing. If we're not careful, children can begin to edge out. The, pro- the rightful place that our spouse should have in our life. And it might be that you love ministry or other projects, you're just busy, 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 you're always saying yes to this person and that person and this thing and that thing, and your spouse, meanwhile, is at home wondering, why aren't you home? I'm not feeling it like you are, I'm feeling a little neglected, I'm feeling jealous of all these other people who are getting your time. So this is so easy. This is nothing new, people. I mean, every, if you've been married any length of time, you've had seasons of this. And so we have to be aware of it and say, I'm going to prioritize our marriage. And there's a very simple calculus here. Very simple. That's all you got to remember. What you feed grows, what you starve dies. What you feed grows, what you starve dies. It's a simple, true, and relentless fact. Um, of course, there's seasons of busyness. There's you bring a new baby home, you start a new job, you move to an area, um, you know, something's happening in the family that's crisis or whatever. I mean, there's moments and seasons where your p- ships pass in the night. You barely just can, you know, get out of bed in the morning. That, that's understood. Life sometimes is like that. But, but church, can I encourage you, let that be just a season and a short one at that. Make it your goal as a couple to say, we're getting out of this season, or we're going to just move heaven and earth, even in the midst of this season, even with a newborn baby, we're going to somehow spend 15 minutes sitting at the kitchen counter talking about our day and connecting. Or somehow we're going to put the baby in a snuggle and we're going to go for a walk and we're going we're to just talk together. Or somehow we're going to get off on a date, we're going to find a good babysitter, get one of those good Gardner girls to babysit, and they'll, they'll, they'll watch your kids and, and give them a little money and you can go out and have a dinner. We have to be intentional about it. Your spouse has to know they are the most important person to you. And I remember this, being a young mom, there were probably moments where I wasn't 100% sure my spouse was the most important person to me because my kids were so important to me, right? Kids take on a different kind of intensity in your life. You know, all you can care about that they're happy. And there's a different kind of love for your children than there is for your spouse. It's, it, they need you. I mean, your spouse can live on their own. They're fine. You know, they, your children need you. So it's a different kind of love, certainly. But children are meant to grow up and separate from you. That's your goal. And, and they're meant to go off. Your spouse is your one flesh. There, there's, you want to grow old with this person. You want to be with them after the whole thing's over. And so... If we don't invest in our marriages, especially when we have young children, and I watched this happen over and over again with friends of mine who never invested in their marriage, who the children were the first thing, and they never would have a babysitter, they would never go out, never went away together. It was all about the kids, all about the kids, and they literally sent their last kid off to college and looked at each other and said, who are you and why am I still married to you? They had nothing left. They, what you feed grows, 
what you starve dies. So that's my word for us today. Prioritize your marriage. Prioritize it. Now the second thing I want to say might be slightly more controversial, which is I want to say make love to your spouse. There I said it from church. Um, Talking about sex. I promise you I will be appropriate about all this. We are in church after all. Um, But I want to say something that I often wish was said to couples and is never said. And it's this. If your sex life is off, so is your marriage. If your sex life is off, so is your marriage. It may look good from the outside. It may seem like it's out. But if, if both partners are not satisfied, are not happy, are not being, being cared for in your sexual relationship, then there's something wrong. You have to face the fact that something's wrong in your marriage. It is such an important part. Now, it's not because it's the most important thing in the marriage. I mean, there's many other things that are just as important as the intimate life in a marriage. But, and it's not about quantity either, five times a week, whatever. Like, it's not about that, okay? Um, you decide the quantity. That's up to you guys. But, but the intimate side of a marriage is a thermometer. It tells you the temperature of the, of the relationship, it tells you the temperature of, of, of your communication, of your kindness, of your selflessness to one another. And so if it's not there, if there's a lack of communication there about what this should look like and what helps me and what helps you, if that's not there, then there's, it's likely you're not communicating well in other parts of your relationship either. Maybe you think you are, but you're not. It's, it's such a key part. It's, it's, a temp, it's a thermometer for the relationship. And here's the thing, the only reason I'm talking about this is because God talks about it in the Bible, okay? So I'm not just bringing this for me. God talked about it. He's not embarrassed. He made it. So we're going to talk about what he says, and that's in 1 Corinthians 7, 2 to 7. But since sexual immorality is occurring, and each man should have sexual relations with his own wife, and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her own husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. And in the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent, and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Interesting. There's a surprising amount of mutuality here. Given the fact this was written in a very patriarchal society, you would have thought it would be wife yield to your husband and that's it. But it also says husband yield to your wife. It's meant to be a mutual thing, enjoyable for both. I encourage you to talk about this as a couple. I know some people never talk about this. It needs to be talked about uh, as a family and as a couple. And, And to ask a question of each other and listen and hear without getting defensive and mad and all hurt and everything. Ask the question, are you fully satisfied with our sexual life? I, I challenge you, couples, to ask each other that question. And listen and hear and, and, and ser- seek to serve one another in this area and to love each other well, openly and calmly. If there's not mutual give and take, if there's not mutual enjoyment, there's something wrong. And I encourage you to seek help because it shouldn't go, it shouldn't be left uh, to itself for too long. It will, it will catch up with you later. It will. We're made for healthy intimacy. I want to say a quick word to any of you who might be in an abusive situation. Maybe nobody knows, but there's abusive words, abusive actions towards you, and you've never told anybody. But no wonder you don't want to have any sex. No wonder. And so I would just say to you in that situation, nobody it should be forced to do something they don't want to do. Nobody should feel unsafe in their own home. And so please seek help. 
please come to me, come to someone, because this is meant to be a healthy, joyful part of our intimate life together. It's something that God gave to couples to grow them. And so that's all I'm going to say about that. I know some of you men are going to go home and say, well, the pastor said... Just have a conversation first, okay? Have a conversation. All right, we're going to keep going. The third thing is to help each other thrive. This is the last thing for, for, for couples, for married couples. And then I'm going to get to the singles. Don't you all worry. I'm getting to you in a minute. Um, but let's talk this last thing about helping each other thrive. Many of us had 1 Corinthians 13 read at our wedding, I'm sure. And if you need a reminder, this is what it says. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Do you notice how every one of those is other-centered? It's centered on your spouse. It's not centered on you and what you're getting out of the relationship. It's centered on your spouse. There is no other person in the whole world who can have such an impact on the man or woman you live with than you. Think of the potential you have to bring good or evil to that person that you live with. Chris spoke last week about how, you know, we can speak words of encouragement over our children the same way God speaks love and encouragement over us. I would like to expand that to marriages. That we can, there's no one who can speak love and encouragement over a wife better than her husband. And there's no one who could speak words of life and encouragement over a husband than a wife. And yet how rarely we do, right? I mean, we, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. We kind of give each other our worst, I think, sometimes in a family. The ones we love the best, we treat the worst, right? We're, we're all nasty and impatient and, and tired and, and grumpy. And I just want to say, can we, can we begin to speak words of life to one another? Can we begin to speak affirmation? Can we offer our best to each other, pointing out what they do well, um, encouraging them, encouraging them to take risks and to develop their gifts? You, you have incredible power to help your spouse thrive. It's all right in your hands. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? And sometimes we have to make it clear how our spouse can best encourage us. If you don't know by now, my love language is words of affirmation. I just love it when people say, good job, we love you, whatever. Like, I just love all that um, because that just, it just encourages my soul. Um, and so, I, you know, when Paul and I got married, we were in our 20s, early 20s. And no offense to the 20-something man in the room, um, but he's a tw- my husband was a 20-something-year-old man, okay? So he wasn't super clued in to how to encourage a woman, okay? Especially when I would do things in the house and decorate things. He just wouldn't notice a new rug, a new couch. Like, he wouldn't even know it happened. Now, first of all, I want you to know, he's not here today. He's in California with my son. But I ran all this by him, okay? So I'm not telling stories behind his back. He's okay with me sharing this. But... I remember him coming home from work one day. I had, to surprise him, gone out and hung all the Christmas lights out in the yard, all over the the bushes, all the way up the stairway, over the door jam and everything, bright white Christmas lights. It was dark when he came home, so they were blazing white. And he walks up the stairs, looking at his Blackberry, I think it was at the time, looking at his Blackberry, comes up into the house, and I'm all, what's he going to say, you know? And he says, nothing. I'm like, what do you think? And he's like, about what? And I said, the lights. He goes, what lights? 
That was when I said, okay, put your briefcase down. We're going back outside. And I took it. <laughs> but I had a choice in those early days of our marriage. And I had a choice. I could, have, I could decide, I'm just going to pout about it. He didn't notice my lights. He never notices anything. I could just do things and see if he ever notices. And then he never did. And so then I could complain to my girlfriends. He just never notices anything. I always do everything for him. You know, I could go my whole life like that. I know, I know people that go their whole life like that. Or I could tell him what I need. And I could show him and train him a little bit uh, to, to do what I need. And so I did. I took him out in the yard and I said, I hung all these and I had to get the ladder out for this. And, you know, and then, you know, he loves me and he wants to encourage me. And so he's like, oh, wow, this is really great. Like, thank you for doing this. Like, he wanted to learn how to affirm me in a way that I could hear. And so over the years, of course, I don't have to remind him anymore. Um, he notices things that I do because we have built that understanding together that this is what encourages me. So we have to communicate that. If I'd never communicated that, he would never know. So let's help each other thrive and bloom. Let's communicate what we need. Give what lifts the soul of our spouse. There was a line I said at Pablo and Rose's wedding. I'm so glad you guys are here today. Um, welcome. Um, and I, I want to just read it to you, and I want you to imagine your name in it. I had their names in it. But I would like to, you to read it and think about your name and your wife or husband's name in it. Husband, you have a tender wife before you. You have a tender husband before you with gifts and talents that need to be expressed and desires and dreams he or she barely even dares to speak. Help her, help him to thrive and bloom. Amen. So now I'm going to spend just a few minutes talking about singleness. Obviously, I'm not single. I haven't been single for a really long time. So this is not really coming from my own personal uh, experience. But I have counseled many, many, many people um, and, and listened and befriended many who are single. And here are a few things that have helped them. The first thing I know is that it is hard sometimes to be single in the Christian world where everything is focused around families. And it feels like you're not quite there yet, haven't made it until I finally have this spouse. And I want to just bring us back to the scriptures. Scriptures could not be more clear. As a single person, you have a gift. You have a gift of freedom to do what God is calling you to do. So invest in God's calling in you. He has a, a calling on your life. 1 Corinthians 7, 32 and 34. Let's remember what it says. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs and how he can please who? The Lord. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. So as a single person, you have the freedom to, to not have to adjust to another person, consult with another person. You can simply just serve the Lord. And that is a blessing. It's a freedom to pursue what God puts on your heart. I pray that this verse is a blessing to you if you're single this morning, that it lets you say, you know, I'm going to take some risks. I'm going to invest in myself and, and what God's putting on my heart. I'm not going to wait around till the husband or wife comes. I'm going to do it because God has put you in a place where you're unencumbered. And so praise God for that. And like I said, many of us might be there uh, sooner than we think. So, so we just pray that that is something that's an encouragement to you. A good friend of mine who spent many years single wrote a book that's called The Weight, and it's an encouragement to single women. And the first chapter of the book is called You Have a Destiny Bigger Than Marriage. And I love this because unlike what we tend to think is that the marriage is the end goal, actually God has a destiny for you. And it may or may not include marriage. May include marriage, may not include marriage. But you have a destiny. God has a call on your life, a destiny for you that does not have to do with whether you have a ring on your finger. 
And so a spouse is not going to give you that destiny. He's not going to give you that purpose or meaning. It's good to remember even as a, as a married person that your spouse is not what gives you a calling from God. God does this work deep inside of us. We each need to be seeking the Lord for what he's calling you to do. So married or single, invest in what God is calling you to do. You're complete in him. He has plans for you, plans for hope and a future. He's given you gifts and, and talents for you to use for the kingdom of God. Every single one of you. And I don't care how young you are or how old you are, how long you've been single, how you became single, God has a plan and a hope and a future for you. Invest in it. Invest in it. The second piece of advice that I've gotten from, again, friends of mine who are in this world is to date wisely. The, one of the hardest things about being single in 2022 is dating in 2022. Um, with COVID concerns and then online dating and knowing which online service to use. And I've, had, I've walked some friends through it and it's quite, quite, quite complicated figuring out how to meet the person once you've met the person online, all this stuff. Um, and so there's a lot there. But one of the books that I think has really been helpful to a lot of people I know is this book called Boundaries in Dating by Cloud and Townsend. It's actually um, uh, kind of an offshoot of the book Boundaries. It's also quite a good book just in general for people. But this one's specifically about dating uh, and talks about healthy dating. I don't know anything about that. When I was dating, I was a teenager. I was, it was not healthy dating. Um, but to date in a healthy way that, that maintains the dignity of both people that is, is, is healthy for both of your souls is so key. And I love the questions that they pose in the book. It says this, the question is not whether or not you're dating. The questions are, who are you in your dating? And who are you becoming in your dating? What is the fruit of your dating for you and for the people you date? How are you treating them? What are you learning? It's really other-centered. It's a lot like 1 Corinthians 13, right? Even in a dating relationship, to treat others with that kind of love, that kind of other-centered care. And then these questions, of course, should inevitably lead to other questions, like how does dating this person affect my spiritual life, my soul? Am I getting closer to God through this person? Or am I actually being pushed farther away? It's a key question to ask as we're dating. Do they share my faith? Can we be on a journey together with God? I remember when Paul and I were dating, we, we seriously asked ourselves the question, would we serve God better together or apart? Because if the answer was apart, then probably we shouldn't get married. And we were sort of listening to that 1 Corinthians 7, right? Can we, is it something about us being together that will be a better dynamic to serve the Lord? So we decided it was, but it's a good question to ask when we're dating and considering marriage. So all of this goes under the heading of dating wisely. I've seen so many friends who struggle with this. They get themselves into long-term relationships that they knew from the start were not going to be good. The person wasn't a Christian or had lots of issues and all kinds of things. And so I just encourage you to be in accountability. Have friends who will speak life and truth to you, who you'll listen to. Um, and and I, I believe that if we're fully convinced that we are whole and complete as we are, if we are convinced that God has blessed the, the state of singleness as much as he blesses the state of matrimony, then we can be eyes wide open when we're dating. We can ask the Lord, what would you have for me? What's the best that you have for me? And seek that in our dating. 
The last thing I want to say for those of us who are single today is to seek community. And this is also something I hear consistently from my single friends, is that one of the hardest things about being single is that you don't have built-in community. When you have a family and a spouse, you have that person that you come home to. And so often that makes couples and families very insular, right, because we don't bother to find community elsewhere. That's something that couples and families need to work against. But as a single person, it can be hard, right, someone to talk to at the end of the day. And so that can cause loneliness. It can cause us even to withdraw further uh, into ourselves. And I found this is interesting. I I saw a study by the Pew Research uh, uh, in 2020 found that one-third of the U.S. population is single. I thought that was astounding. Single meaning not married, not living with a partner, and not even in a committed romantic relationship. One-third. That's a lot. What that means is that you are not alone. If you're single, there's a lot of you out there. And so be encouraged that there's others going through what you're going through. There's many even in our church who are single and for various reasons. And so I just pray that you would, you would look for each other, that you would encourage one another and know that you are not alone and you're part of this community, that we love you, that you are welcome here, that this is, this is your family and that we want this to be a family for all who come here. Which leads me to my final point here, which is that no matter we're married or single, our job here as a church body is to build community that welcomes everybody. We talk a lot about welcoming, right? But that means welcoming of everyone, whether they're single or married or a single parent or recently divorced or widowed or, or, or married with lots of kids or with a blended family. All of these, these, these permutations are what we have in this place, and how beautiful is that? We're all here for one another to be in community together. And so families, I want to encourage you, reach out to the single people around you, whether in the church or in your neighborhood. Fold them into your community. Don't become so insular in your own nuclear family that you forget to build community outside of your own family. This is the meaning of that beautiful psalm. God sets the lonely in families. See, we're a family because we're blood brothers and sisters. We're joined together by the blood of Jesus. And so we are adopted in his family. We're all brothers and sisters here meant to support one another, meant to love one another, meant to form relationships, meant to go to coffee together, meant to go on a walk at the park together, meant to spend dinners together or or evenings watching a movie. Reach out to each other. Let's take care of each other. Look around. Ask God, who are you speaking to me about? Who can I love? Whether it's a family, whether it's a single, or anything in between. And so what I said at the beginning of the message, at the end of the day, we keep our eyes on Jesus. And we serve him fully with with our full heart, whatever state we find ourselves in. Whatever state we find ourselves, whether married or single, we we can be complete and whole in Jesus. You are fully loved, fully complete. There's nothing missing from you. You are full, complete in Jesus. God has set apart both states of marriage and singleness as a holy calling, blessed by him and sustained by him. And so I want us to be a church that welcomes one another, that creates that kind of community. And so I want us to pray for a moment, but then I'm going to do something a little different for communion. So I just want you to kind of get get ready. We're going to go into a time of communion. And rather than um, come up in lines for communion like normal, what I'm going to ask you to do is get into little circles of about 10 10 to 12 people, and you know, don't hold hands. We want to keep things safe, COVID still. Um, but just stand in a circle facing each other, and we're going to have you take communion in little families. 
Um, don't just stay with your only family. Pull in other people who are not a part of your family, but about 10 or 12, and get in circles, and we're going to take communion like that together. So let's just open, first of all, in a moment of prayer. Father, I, I just ask you to be with us today, Lord, as we speak about our state of marriage or singleness, as we think about how we feel about that, Lord, if we are if we are struggling, if we're frustrated, if we're sad, Lord, we just, we give you those feelings, Lord. We know that you know. You know exactly how we feel. God, and you're right here with us, Lord. If we've been disappointed in love and it hasn't worked, if we've been hurt, Lord, if we've had um, families that, that are estranged from us or they're difficult or we've had many uh, changes in our families. Maybe there's been divorces. Maybe there's been just falling out. Lord, we just pray for all of this. Lord, we lay it at your feet. And if our marriages are struggling, Lord, if we've just grown apart as, as, as husband and wife, Lord, help us to start to communicate, Lord, to talk to each other, to be honest with one another. Lord, I pray for healing of our hearts in our in our singleness in our dating life in our marriages you can do it lord strengthen us to be healthy and whole mind body and spirit and help us as a church family to help one another to help each other be healthy in our relationships, in our love for each other, in our marriages. I pray for some of our older saints here today who've lost a, a husband or a wife. I pray for them. I pray for peace, for the sense that you're right there with them all the time, Lord. You've not left them or forsaken them, and you have a new, a new season for them of joy and of good things. Pray for our younger saints here who wonder if I'll ever get married. How long is it going to take, Lord? And I just pray that they would find their peace in you, that you would be all they need. They'd pursue the calling you put on their life and just invest in themselves and in that calling and do the work you've put before them to do and just be joyful in that, Lord, and that you would take care of the timing. Just take a moment. Let's talk to Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that we get to celebrate communion together to remind us that we really are a family. Jesus' name.